0: Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. This podcast is about erasing shame through honest talk for healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Visit our website at erasingshame.com for links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. Now, let's have an honest talk for healthy living.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Erasing Shame Honest Talk for Healthy Living. I'm your host today, Eunice Lee, and um, I am joined by our guest, Mar- Dr. Martin Shaw. Um, Martin is a clinical psychologist and health consultant. He specializes in helping people overcome anxiety in all forms, including obsessive compulsive disorder and insomnia. He practices the cognitive behavioral therapy of Southern California in Glendale, California, and hosts the podcast Psych Rally. So thanks so much um, for coming today, Martin. We're going to talk a little bit about anxiety and shame. Um, So, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit beforehand, but I would love for you to just describe what you do professionally, what your areas of passion are, and yeah, and just a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, well, first, uh, thank you for having me, Eunice. Uh, we met recently but seem to have known each other through other people for a lot longer. And uh, I just think what you and DJ have done so far from what I've read and heard is really, really good. So I'm very uh, honored to be <clears throat> invited to be part of this. Um, uh, you know, I'm a psychologist, as you said. I'm a therapist um, throughout my career to date. I've been very fortunate to have uh, a lot of unique experiences and develop um, specialty Training and work in lots of different areas. I've worked with uh, at the VA with uh, veterans with post traumatic stress. I've worked with people mm-hmm. with gambling problems, gambling addictions. Uh, I've mm-hmm. previously worked in a practice with a lot of kids and teens dealing with attention problems and learning problems, helping parents deal with the homework battles and screen time and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, uh, my focus now and the practice that I work at uh, is, as you said, um, probably 60, 60, 70% of the people that we help are dealing with some kind of anxiety, primary anxiety, that might be social anxiety, panic episodes, phobias, health and illness related, um, and uh, most specifically OCD, which also can come in in a number of forms. Um, And and sleep, as you mentioned, Uh, insomnia, obviously we address all of that as psychologists, we deal with it from a um, non-medication based perspective, and that's um, really valuable for a lot of people. So that's my passion. I'm like you, I'm a therapist. And uh, but those are our, my, my specialties of the practice I work at.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so do you see kind of I'm wondering if you see an epidemic of anxiety or even of OCD in the work that you do?
0: Well, I do, because that's a large part of the you know large percentage of people that come to us. Um, plenty of reasons to be anxious and stressed in, in any of our lives if we really want to focus on it. Um, i think the challenge with people where anxiety really becomes a problem is that uh, we can get fixated on it we might not be dealing with it in a healthy productive way talking about it confronting it um anxiety really grows when we avoid it um Mm -hmm. and ocd is one major form of that in which we can develop what we call compulsions which are ways kind of ritualistic and rigid ways of getting rid of unwanted intrusive scary Mm -hmm. thoughts um, and, yeah. you know, plenty of things to be anxious <laughs> about all the yeah. time. You know, natural disasters, political, financial, health, et cetera, if we really want to. Um, and uh, so there's always plenty of work to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Um, so, yeah. And I, I just wondered because I, I, I've seen and you've been practicing longer than I have, but I've seen kind of more anxiety these days than I would say depression. And you're right. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things to be anxious about. Um, and sure. it, Kind of the working definition, and I know you mentioned that you've listened to our podcast before, but yeah. the way that we describe shame here, and you can add, feel free to add or add your own spin to it or completely disagree. Um, but it, it's kind of taking off of what Brene Brown says, which is that um, guilt is that you did something wrong, shame is that you are wrong, or guilt right. is that you made a mistake, shame is that you are the mistake. And so it's ha- kind of to put the spin on this because um, DJ and I talk a lot. Um, about what it, shame is from an Asian American collectivist context, which is that it's it's as if everybody is in agreement that you should feel shame. Yeah. Um, it's not just your perspective or in your head, there's also a collective agreement that that's something that's bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering for you, um, and I know you don't work just with a specific culture, this is um, something that impacts everybody, uh, but yeah, how would you uh, understand or define shame from your background and from um, how you, how you work and who you work with
0: yeah um you know it, uh, i mean first thing i would say is just from what i've listened to and uh watched already from what you and dj have done on just what this is what five or six episodes in of this podcast I, seven think you already, folks have, I
1: think yeah
0: seven, <laughs> yeah i mean i think you folks have done a really good job defining yes. it covering it from different angles different aspects of it um and I was telling you this earlier before we hit record um, that, you know, shame, it's, it's interesting because it's not a clinical term. Mm-hmm. It's not a sort of symptom or thing that you hear in our diagnostic and statistical manual, but it's, it's a word that everybody knows colloquially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe just a couple of the things that I've been thinking about on the topic of shame while knowing that we were going to be talking about this is I think sometimes there's an important distinction between sort of shame that happens between people like mm-hmm. public or social shame, like shame on you or you should be ashamed of yourself, kind of losing face,
1: yeah.
0: um, which can be sort of reacted to or rejected. Um, and then there's sort of inter, like personal, internal shame that you or me or anyone can carry around with us, even in the absence of another person. And that can really uh, sort of shape and influence how we see ourselves and how we interact with the world um, mm-hmm. and other people, too. Um, we, a, few months, a few months ago, there was uh, there was a story in the NFL, and mm. um, <clears throat> there's a quarterback named Cam Newton, who uh, you know it was very unfortunate. He and, and after a game, in a post game media conference, he made some very very sloppy and unfortunate sexist remarks. Mm. And uh, you know, of course, the the media and Twitter and the NFL kind of came out, you know, denouncing those remarks and being critical. And not long after that, I saw an interview of, you know, some ESPN sports commentators talking. And one of them was a woman named Sam Ponder, a Mm -hmm. female sports commentator. And, you know, she would have been well within her right to just be outraged and go all out on on Cam Newton's comments. Um, But what she did with it was actually really, I promised on the topic of shame, but um, (laughs) was was very, um, I think, pithy and articulate and. Basically, what she said is, you know, I, you know, I could call, out, call him out and just criticize him and come down on his comments, call him, uh, you know, whatever it is. But then I'd just be perpetuating the cycle of criticism mm. and fear and anger and hate. And mm-hmm. then I'm, not, I'm stooping to that level. So mm-hmm. she said, you know, what I'll do instead is because, and she said this, she said, shame alone makes people hide, not change. Mm. Mm, And that mm -hmm. it's really relationship and exposure and conversation over time that opens up minds and changes hearts. And I just thought that was very big hearted and graceful of her and kind of illustrated this point of how, you know, shame can restrict. And it it causes us to hide and brings about Mm -hmm. fear and pressure in not a encouraging, uplifting way.
1: Yeah, Oh, totally. Yeah. I really like what she said, too, about how, you know, there's the opposite. That is what kind of brings understanding and healing. Yeah. And we need that in order to to thrive and to heal. Um, so from what I'm got, under... We
0: know that as therapists too, what mm-hmm. <laughs> we do. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so it sounds like there's kind of two types that you you outline, which I really like. It's the the relationship we have with others and then the relationship we have with ourselves. Yeah. Um, and shame can live in both of those things. And I think sometimes we either live too much in one or the other, or we think shame is all in our head or shame is all between people. Um, but I like the distinction you made. Um,
0: well, and I think it could be very much both and, and they, they can certainly intertwine based on the people in our lives and the choices we make too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm thinking with you know with specific compulsions, um, like for example, you know, skin picking, trichotillomania, or, or you know, hair pulling. These like kind of little things that impact people on the daily basis. That um, I've known people with these things, and it's it's been tough for them to even come out, much less some of the deeper compulsions or deeper obsessions or social anxiety or panic disorder. Um, I mean, how does that play into your work when working with clients that have these compulsions or these, uh, these anxious behaviors?
0: Boy, yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, you hit on some good examples. I'll share a couple others. I mean, you mm-hmm. can, you know, let's think of OCD. If you are a, this shouldn't be too hard. If you're a recent mother, mm-hmm. first time having a baby, and you are holding this precious, dependent, um, innocent, beautiful little thing that you love and you're bonding with and you're nursing, just a couple days old. And then all of a sudden you have, start having thoughts of how easy it would be to drown this baby while giving mm-hmm. him or her a bath. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, why am I having this? I don't want to do that. But then, well, let me stop thinking about this. And then we get into the cycle of having a thought and avoiding it, thinking that I might really want to do that, and then like, why? what kind of mother am I that I'm having this thought,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, and the shame that can be attached with that. Yeah. Another example would be, imagine if you're a high profile uh, minister or spiritual leader, priest mm-hmm. or pastor, and, and then you just start having thoughts for whatever reason that um, I'm going to go to hell if mm-hmm. I don't say a prayer a certain way or a certain number of times and my salvation is in jeopardy if it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I've got to do it just right and do it over and over until I get it right. And then Mm -hmm. I feel better until I have that thought again, I've got to do it again. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, We've had highly educated, successful people, surgeons, you know, you lose your job because you spend too long scrubbing up, you know, Mm you're going to clean because the fears of contamination have taken over your life to the point where the ritualistic compulsion to wash Mm -hmm. just a certain number of times or a certain way until it feels quite right takes over. And then it's not, practical to your life so you can imagine the shame In in you know it looks a little bit different in each of these circumstances but these are you know uh, variations of real things that that we've seen
1: yeah so and i mean even the first example you uh, you gave i mean as and you know i'm a new mom i i feel like that's a lot of people's postpartum experience so i'm, yeah. I'm really glad that you're able to outline that sure. um and i'm wondering like so it sounds like what you're saying is that shame is kind of it's living inside all these examples that it's it's part of that cycle.
0: Yeah, I, I think what I would say is that, <clears throat> uh, you know, I mean, just the, first of all, just the effects of any of these things, taking time and effort and energy, and this thing that I feel like I've gotta hide, that maybe I'm, right, it, it, it's, it, mm-hmm. it takes time and, and it affects our emotions. And then we start to question ourselves and uh, makes it hard for us to get better. That yeah. in and of itself can cause a feeling of shame because shame has everything to do with uh, sort of achievement and results and mm-hmm. at least the guise of perfection and what happens mm-hmm. if I am not, what happens if I'm on paper, people think of me a certain way, but I'm really dealing with something very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, the yeah. other thing is that, sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead.
1: Oh yeah, I just feel like that even touches on that whole idea of imposter syndrome or kind of living that yeah. double life is that is the anxiety plus this kind of external on paper person exactly so, interesting. yeah interesting
0: mm-hmm. you were saying I, I also think um you know this whole idea of everything's got to be perfect or look intact right
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and ocd is it's a similar thing in that we might have a, we feel like i don't have control over my own mind if i'm having mm-hmm. these unwanted intrusive unpleasant images and thoughts i mean some of the most famous books on ocd are it's telling in the title, imp of the mind, brain lock, um, the doubting disease, you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you, part of you recognizes that these thoughts are not logical, but you can't stop having them. And yeah. so the, really the hallmark, one of the hallmarks components of OCD and why it maintains itself and spreads is avoidance, is the desire to wanna mm-hmm. avoid that thought or get rid of it or suppress it or do some mm-hmm. compulsion or ritualize to kind of neutralize it. But mm-hmm. that only works in the short term, it doesn't work in the long term. And similarly with shame, right? It makes us want to avoid mm-hmm. and hide rather than bring something into the light or address it directly yeah. uh, in a vulnerable way, which is what we need to be able to do to heal from shame. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. In that way, I think they're similar. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, oh, there's an echo. <laughs> um, so, um, so, for example, how would, how would you, would you um, um, disarm those clients that you were describing? um that you know are having these intrusive thoughts these anxious thoughts panicking um how would you help them like as a, as a clinician as a therapist
0: sure well um obviously the the i guess the specifics of that look so different for each person in, in each case of course mm-hmm. um, but largely speaking i think with anxiety and OCT, um people, you know some I mean, people don't come to therapy until they're really ready for something to be different until they're really sick of things the way they are. They want something to change and they're willing to do something about it. Um, But I think with anxiety and OCD, there's motivation, but there also needs to be a very accurate um, sort of understanding and conceptualization of what it is the person's dealing with. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: someone really needs to sort of be given a sense and an understanding that just because I'm having these thoughts doesn't make them real, doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that they actually reflect a reality or something I actually want to do. Or something yeah. that i actually have done um we've all had sort of weird dreams before taboo things of mm-hmm. you know violent sexual embarrassing showing up to class without pants on whatever it is shame related. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but then you know we wake up and we say oh well, that was weird but at least well, that was a dream right and somehow we kind of write them off well what happens mm-hmm. if we're having those thoughts in a waking state and that's mm-hmm. what someone with ocd is dealing with and they say well somehow because it's happening in a waking state we might attach more meaning to it and say well that must mean something different and so we have to help people really understand that accurately we have to help people understand and accept those thoughts with self-compassion with mindfulness Mm -hmm. knowing that that's um that the meaning we place on those those thoughts may not be accurate or real Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um and uh but really the meat of uh working with ocd and anxiety is exposure and for ocd we call it exposure with response prevention which long story short is basically um, coaching and helping people to confront and face mm-hmm. the fears, mm-hmm. thoughts, <clears throat> places, situations that are tr- triggering that fear and anxiety to that do the things so scary, that we're saying. Right? It yeah. is very scary, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But that's why the education and the helping them understand that this is actually going to help them. It, it's We're helping them experience short-term pain in the service of longer-term gain
1: mm-hmm. versus
0: if you're doing the compulsion over and over, it feels like short-term gain, but it's really longer term pain because then
1: you've got to do it over and over. So it's the opposite. Yeah. So I feel like that's really really important too when it comes to um, shame work is that in the short term, it feels more painful to Uh approach it and to confront it. Um, But in the longer term, um, there's more freedom. And that's kind of what we're hoping to do with this podcast. And it sounds like that's what you get to do every day with your clients.
0: Uh, I, yeah, I'd like to think of it that way. I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's can be difficult work. And as you said, it's very scary for clients to deal with. But um, and, you know, things don't necessarily change overnight by any means. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's very mm-hmm. rewarding work and uh, to help people and to see, you know, be part of people's journey from being, you know, closed off in their own house, you know, isolated yeah. from other people, having lost jobs, marriages, and then be able to be living their lives again. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the work.
1: Yeah. Um, so. Well, I've I I've a question for you in terms of you know as as we compare as you talk about what you do with anxiety and OCD and as we talk about shame, I'm seeing there's so many parallels, and so I'm curious for you if someone were listening that had certain um, you know patterns that you would might define as um, OCD anxiety, anxiety, but just didn't know they just thought that's what life was like. How would how would you um yeah, how would you kind of describe it or help them understand that they might have anxiety or OCD?
0: Yeah, um, I guess the funny thing is, the way you ask that, Eunice, is like, I think, for the most part, people who are dealing with anxiety know they're dealing with anxiety because Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, The
0: temperature is hot and I wanna get out of this. Mm -hmm. And the best way that typically people with anxiety know, the most natural response is to avoid the thing that makes me feel anxious. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a thought or an image or a place or a reminder of something, uh, a place where I had a panic episode, <clears throat> uh, a situation that involves other people where I felt judged or nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, typically, I mean, pe- people know that something's wrong, and, and mm-hmm. especially if it's, again, taking up real estate in their lives, inhibiting them from working towards goals that they might have personally, professionally, relationally. This is where the shame piece comes in right Uh, Mm -hmm. another place where it comes in is like you know everyone says that i am you know capable and smart and
1: Mm. attractive
0: or whatever and i'm not meeting my potential or life isn't happening um along my timeline or the way along the the time frame that i expected and Mm. then i feel shame about that right and um,
1: i bet a lot of transitional young adults and 20s people can relate to that
0: <laughs> yeah. 20s, 30s, 40s, I mean, us <laughs> oh. in different ways. Just
1: humans, you know, yeah.
0: As humans, but you know, when you when anxiety and OCD really has a hold on someone's life, I mean, it's gonna it can really restrict things even more. And so, I think you know, to tie things together, I'd say you know, there's no, you know, there's a stigma about mental health issues. There's a stigma about getting help, mm-hmm. about going and getting to therapy. I think that's changing and different in some circles. But even even I know, I mean, even. Being in a big city like LA, this just stigma. People, some people are okay with it, but a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I don't need help. I'm going to seek a professional. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I think sometimes that's true. There are a lot of things that we can improve and get better on and change with making good life decisions and taking care of our health and relying on support of good family and friends. But there's a lot of things that I think really do benefit from professional help. Um, and, and really, it's not either or. It could be both. And I mean. Uh, you can have all the great support and tools around you. Um, but I'd like to think that the right professional and the right help at the right time can really expedite the process of recovery and getting better and taking one's life back.
1: Yeah, you know? definitely. So, so what would you say to people that are on the fence about therapy?
0: Um, watch the moments of meaning videos on YouTube. That's <laughs> one thing. Uh, I don't know if I told you about this, unit you know, myself and a yeah. fellow colleagues in the Pasadena area uh, sort of um, took de-identified stories of things that have happened in therapy and sort of told them um, Mm. live, and they were recorded and edited and uh, put online. So they're on YouTube, Moments of Meaning. Um, uh, We, you know, on Psych Rally, the the show that I do, the podcast, have had people tell their own stories of recovery, dealing with various things, Mm. gambling, alcoholism, trichotillomania, Mm -hmm. Uh, post-traumatic stress and how therapy has helped them Um, you know there's no shame in it and you and I know I mean as again as therapists uh, I mean we we see it as sacred territory as a secret as a sacred conversation
1: Um,
0: and so you know everything we talk about is private it's it's uh, we're professional secret keepers Mm
1: -hmm. yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah I think I think that that point is so interesting because I've had people ask me before when they find out what I do professionally ask, how is that different from talking to a friend or even does that mean that the people you talk to or, you know, going to therapy means you don't have friends. Like, shouldn't that be what friends are for? But it's such a different feeling when you're there and you're sitting across from someone Uh and you're seeing them and you're meeting them and you're letting them meet themselves for the first time that Mm -hmm. I think that there's so much more, uh, kind of richness in that i think that we should all be able to experience those sacred moments together sure
0: yeah Yeah. and i think uh you know a friendship is reciprocal Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know like if i'm gonna you know just if i'm gonna make one hour you and me talking and it's all about me and we do that over and over again at some point i'm gonna wear you down Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean unless we trade hours perhaps but Mm -hmm. you know with therapy it's 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 definitely personal because we're talking about very Precious sensitive vulnerable personal things, but it's at the end of the day. It's a professional relationship. We're still Mm -hmm. you know hired Um, and and I also think uh, You know people say that there's something about like this space this place this time and this person that I go to talk with It's just about me and that might seem You know egotistical or narcissistic, but um, there's a reason why we do what we do and people Mm -hmm come to us um because that's something special i mean what if what if family and friends which is often the case is the reason why people are coming to therapy Mm -hmm. i don't have a someone to listen to to provide an outside third party let alone a trained professional to give an outside input that could help me Mm
1: -hmm. so yeah that's a great point um and i think that's a lot of you know i see a lot of um young adults and that's Sometimes what, what it is is they come in because it's really hard to figure out how to launch with parents that can't let go or with um, family members that are, are really difficult to be with. And so I think that's that's a really good point. Um, yeah. It, well,
0: and add another piece, Eunice, with younger mm-hmm. younger folks, I should say, in yeah. the teens and 20s is, you know, what if most of my meaningful interactions are over text?
1: Mm. or
0: over Instagram and you know it's just it's a different form of communication and sometimes I kind of just want to have a space to uh, put -hmm. my thoughts into words and and have them not be processed and not worry how it's going to sound and therapy especially in a face-to-face real life human interaction you know it it provides something different than that so yeah
1: yeah Yeah. it it sounds (laughs) like especially what you do with you know walking someone through encountering and um, confronting some of their compulsions, that's not something that just anyone can do. It has to be a safe space and has to be a professional because that'd be really tough to just do that for a friend. So, I'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if, if there are listeners that have loved ones who um, can relate to this you know, anxiety, these anxiety issues, um, what would you tell them about helping the people in their lives that may have anxiety issues? So say like I had a brother who has anxiety, how could I help him?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's helpful, as you said, it's different from therapy, but certainly the support and the gentle loving challenge of someone who is trusted and respected and cares really matters. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you were to say to your hypothetical brother, like, you know, I, I see the ways that these habits or uh, things that I'm observing and things that you've shared with me are really, really affecting you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, re- I've learned some things about anxiety. There are resources online. There's the ADAA um, Association for Depression and Anxiety. Um, there's IOCDF, uh, Inter- um, International OCD Foundation. There's just lots of resources and things online. Um, blogs, our, our practice, CBT SoCal has a blog mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about OCD and anxiety and treatment. So just I think information is helpful. Um, also having... You know, it's sort of a balance of giving people both the support and the understanding and the encouragement, mm-hmm. uh, even if you're not in the therapist role, but also mm-hmm. the gentle nudge to say, like, I'm concerned about you, and like, I would love mm-hmm. to see you get the right help so that this doesn't, you know, continue to impact your life adversely. Yeah, totally,
1: mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, in terms of shame and you know, OCD, anxiety, and then shame too. I'm curious, you know, we DJ and I talk a lot about Asian American culture because we're we both happen to be Asian American, and as you are as well. And I'm 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 curious of what your thoughts are about anxiety in the way that you know Asian Americans tend to parent, tend to um, engage with their children, tend to tune to their kids or to connect with their kids. I mean, are you seeing any patterns in our culture?
0: Boy, yeah, that's it's a tricky one because, I mean, you and DJ know this, right? I mean, even being Asian-American means so many different things. It's not a mm-hmm. monolithic thing. Totally. Um, and it's also tricky because, by and large, uh, Asian-Americans don't go to therapy much,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Um, I think that, again, that changes more with different generations, right? I would say third and fourth generation, Asian-Americans are more likely and inclined to go to therapy than the second generation. Was more inclined to go than first generation, who probably you know less likely to even have a context for what therapy is, yeah. uh, let alone any you know sense of it as a credible profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I think I've said this before in other places that I mean I think my, what I find in in our in my role professionally is that Asian Americans tend more to be motivated to come to something like therapy. Uh, way, when I've been working with people with gambling problems, because it directly mm. affects that's a big um, money and, mm-hmm. and oftentimes uh, through 1-800-GAMBLER, they can get it paid for sometimes. Mm. Um, so it's a free service. Um, yeah. and, uh, when it involves the kids and education, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. and that's, and, and at one level, that's not unique to Asian Americans. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, more motivated to seek services and help and invest in things that are going to help their kids than they might for themselves as adults. But I think mm-hmm. for Asian-Americans, I feel like that separation is even greater in general.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Like kid struggling in school, has an attention problem, has anxiety. And the teacher said to get help, like, oh, OK, I'm more likely to do that than I will to, you know, address my own issues in a setting like therapy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that it's, it's interesting to see how and Lislyn, who we're having on next week, um, okay. you know, um, she wrote a blog about how there's no one story when it comes to, you know, any any group, any minority group. Um, But there are patterns, Um, and so it's interesting to hear. I know with gambling, that's a huge issue in the Asian American communities. I know they. I I remember hearing that they send. They have advertising in Chinese and Korean, and they send buses straight to Vegas from you know Monterey Park, California, where there's a high uh, Chinese population, Asian American population, and so there's there's definitely. It sounds like some some patterns, but not everybody fits the kind of strict, stringent, uh, cookie cutter prototype of what it means to be Asian American but the, the, it does exist in our culture
0: yeah yeah yeah, and it's weird I mean speaking of gambling it's you know it's it's a very acceptable and sanctioned form of recreation I mean mm-hmm. if you go to you know Macau and Hong Kong or outside of Hong Kong I mean it's huge rows and you know city of casino <laughs> so it's just built mm-hmm. in and you come here mm-hmm. um, that's what you know you know mm-hmm. um, yeah. so it, it, it doesn't it might not have uh, the stigma attached to it. Uh, and like, you know, eating disorders and alcoholism, like there aren't, there's not a label for that in in, in some Asian cultures in Scotland and Ireland. People think about these things very differently. So
1: mm-hmm. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So. All right. Well, I think that we are, wow, we're already at the end of our time. Um, I just want to After share now. your some of the resources that um that you have which is uh, first year podcast psych rally psych rallypodcast.com and then your website cbtsocal.com and then we're also adding on our facebook um, our facebook link the moments of meaning youtube videos which i'm excited to um, to watch and to get into Um, And then you can always come um, for the listeners. You can always visit us our website at ErasingShame.com where you'll find our Facebook page, YouTube and our podcast on iTunes um, so you can catch up with all of the the great content we have. Um, Thank you so much, Martin, for coming and um, coming on and just sharing your wisdom. And um, yeah, I'm curious. Do you have any any last thoughts before we we finish up here?
0: No, I think we covered it. Uh, feel free to have people contact me if they've got other questions about OCD or anxiety. So um, very grateful to be part of the show. I love what you and DJ are doing. So I look forward to watching more myself.
1: Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Martin. I yeah, really appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks All for having right. me. Have a good night. Bye.